Welcome back to Lakes Woods and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Also, find us at KLIZ.com and on Podcast One, or really wherever you go to look for your podcast, brought you away in part by our sponsors, SCR Northern. They're the guys and gals who answer the phones 24-7, the ones with Old Man Winter on the trucks. Also, Dockside Rental, Brainerd Lakes go-to for surf, wakeboard, pontoon, and jet ski rental. And uh, Gravel Pit Golf, uh, Brainerd, Minnesota's newest golf experience. Chuck Kletkatsky and the gang have done a great job at Gravel Pit Golf. We really want you to get out and uh, try out the new 13-hole par-3 course. We've had uh, the designer on with us and Chuck on with us this year. We'll have Chuck on in the next couple of weeks. But Gravel Pit Golf, uh, boy, it's getting a lot of rave reviews. So get out there, play 13 holes, sit a beer or have a beer, sit on the deck, and enjoy the... Uh, the Vista, right? <laughs> a lot of fun. Kind of a unique show this week. No Chris's first segment. He's uh, spending his time with a nice interview with Derek Ingram, which is coming up. He is the national coach of Canada. We'll get to that in just a moment. And also a segment where Chris and I will fix my golf game, which could be a long segment. <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, some famous people have uh, had famous things to say about golf. Hank Aaron, the greatest uh, home run hitter in baseball history for many years, said it took me 17 years to get 3,000 hits in baseball. I did it in one afternoon on the golf course. Paul Harvey, golf is a game in which you yell four, shoot six, and write down five. The great Billy Graham, the only time my prayers are never answered is on the golf course. Ben Hogan, Reverse every natural instinct and do the opposite of what you're inclined to do, and you will probably come very close to having a perfect golf swing. And Jack Lemon, who lived for golf, uh, said, If you think it's hard to meet new people, try picking up the wrong golf ball. <laughs> you're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons. We're back with Chris's interview with Derek Ingram right after this. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Also find us at KLIZ.com and podcast or podcast one. Good spot for podcast. Thanks in part to our sponsors, Ernie's on Gull and experience in dining on the shores of Gull Lake. Open year round at 11 with deck and patio seating. Also Emily Green's home to the largest screen in the universe. It's all about fun at Emily Green's and Whitefish Golf Course in Pequot Lakes an experience that never disappoints. One of the area's premier 18 hole championship courses. We've got a great interview that uh, Chris was able to uh, get Derek Ingram as the national head coach of Team Canada. And with uh, Canada, a Canadian event coming to the CRMC at Craigans, perfect timing for that. So here is that interview with Derek Ingram. want to welcome to the show one of my good friends, Derek Ingram. Derek is the national coach of Team Canada, and we've had him on the show a, a couple other times, but it's been a couple of years. He's one of the busiest guys in golf and also one of the brightest guys in golf. But uh, w welcome back to the show, Derek. Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Always fun to, to chat. You know, you're, we, we've been trying to get you on, but uh, you, you're so busy. I'm so busy. When, when uh, you're, you're actually at one of, uh, we're going to host a Canadian tour event. I want to talk about that. And uh, you, uh, you've been at one of the Canadian tour events all week. And t tell, us, tell us about the Canadian tour and what your role is when you, when you go to these events. Yeah, I, that was the second event I was at. I just got home from Toronto uh, 
the Ontario Open and as the one in Victoria, the first one of the year. These events are unreal. Like you're going to literally see players, and I've been doing this. I'm a, lot, I'm a little older than a lot of people, but I've been seeing players go from the PGA Tour Canada to the Corn Ferry Tour to the PGA Tour over the last 10 years, and it's amazing. Guys like Will Zalatoris and uh, well, maybe I just saw Will in the Corn Ferry Tour, but I've seen a lot of the guys: Tony Finau, yeah. uh, Taylor Pendrith. Uh, you know, Corey Connors, Adam Hadwin, and a bunch of really good international players as well. So when you go to a PGA Tour Can event, I'm thrilled it's got, you guys are ha having one down there because it's going to be unreal for people if they want to see great golf. They're going to see players literally who will be on the PGA Tour in one, two, or three years. Uh, the standard of play is incredible. So many NCAA uh, Division One All-Americans. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it'll be really a, a fun week to watch Unreal Golf and, and the future of the, uh, of the game. And for me, when I'm at a, a tournament like that, I'm just coaching players on either, either our national team or our, our pro team, uh, or maybe even in some cases, a player that I help out uh, who, who's not uh, involved with Golf Canada. So that's my role. You know, the, the U.S. doesn't have a national team, although they're in... Uh, they're in the early stages of, of developing one. The USGA, is, is, they've hired a kind of a national director. And um, so people aren't familiar with, with that. Tell us what, what the national program is and how it works. Yeah, we, you know, in a, in a, we've got a big country here in Canada with not many people in it and kind of some bad weather. So if we didn't take our best players and spend resources and time with them developing them, and working with either if they have personal coaches or college coaches or being that if they don't have that, you'd never see players in the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour from Canada like a Brooke Henderson or a Corey Connors or a Adam Hadwin, et cetera. So we know that with only 30 million in the country, huge country, you know, not not as many world class courses as, you know, Europe or United States or, or Australia. And, and, and all, obviously the weather isn't great. If we didn't take those players and work with them, provide them a support system, sports psychologist, strength and get conditioning, physio help, and then coaching in all areas, uh, and, and some funding too to help them out. Again, there'd be no, there'd be just so few players make it from Canada. It would never happen. Yeah. That's why I'm not sure the United States needs one. Such a huge country with great weather and great co coaches like yourself, like hotbeds all across the country. Yeah. But I still think they're, if they ever do get one, look out. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I would love to be involved in that program. I don't know how I can, but it, it, it's, I'm very excited about the prospect of it. And I think, yeah, I think what happens in the U.S., everybody is so territorial and they don't want to give up, you know, working with students, but th that's really not what they do. It just gives players resources and uh, opportunities to play in events and it's just a way to a develop, like it says, a developmental model that just enhances the, the elite level of the game. Yeah, we're not trying to steal anybody. Like, I, I'm not trying to steal players away from coaches. Uh, that's just certainly not what we do in Canada. It's all about the athlete. And, um, you know, sometimes uh, I end up being their personal coach. Sometimes I work in concert with a coaching staff or a coaching team or, you know, college coaches. And, you know, we don't look at it like uh, we're taking away from someone else. We look like we're value added. We're going to be there to support them in events maybe that they can't. We're going to work together for the, for the best interests of the athlete. And so, um, we, we try and can we have a little bit of that as well, that, you know, territorial stuff in Canada, but we're trying to really, you know, put the athlete first 
and then um, know that it takes an army to support an athlete that like that to get to the PGA Tour. And, and if you're a Canadian player, the research is it takes two or three years longer to get to be a PGA Tour player sure. uh, than somebody in the southern United States. You'd be more like Canada, honestly, Chris, in your yeah. location. It's going to take those athletes two or three years longer, at least, just because of the, you know, the the problems that we possibly have up north. But anyway, it's 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 we're all in this together, especially in a country like I said, with not many people who who want to do a good job in golf. Yeah, one of the players from Team Canada that you've been very involved in just won a major last week. Brooke Henderson's congratulation on that. And, yeah, uh, t- tell us about that win. And get, I mean, she. 25 years old it's her, her 12th win uh on the ladies tour second major uh, you forget how young brooke is yeah i know we're just thrilled uh across the country i coach brooke when she's super small like she she just really got into our national junior team and our national amateur team and she was so good as a junior she was really on our national amateur team as a junior at 13 years old and so I was, I was able to coach her for a year there and, and get to know her over the course of, you know, six or seven years. I love her and her family. And, you know, her dad's really, her coach does an unreal job. And then they've had, you know, they've had people help her out again, really to get to where she is. And we're just thrilled with it. I mean, she's a, a bit of a smiling killer out there. It's her second major champion. Uh, she's really athletic and you'd, you'd appreciate and love this, Chris. She comes from a, a multi-sport background. She was a hockey goalie growing up ultra competitive, you know, uh, you know, triple A hockey goalie, or I guess double A because they didn't have triple A. So the highest level and also just a wonderful uh, person as well. So yeah, it was great for me. I, I actually was home uh, and got to, you know, wake up early and watch her on, on Saturday and Sunday morning when, and, and, and when that tournament was huge, huge for golf in Canada, huge for her. And I think huge for golf in general, because she's oh, yeah. such a women's game. You know, she, she, you and I have talked in the past about just, um, you, you need so much emotional resilience in this game. And, you know, she, she's had some, she's had some struggles the past couple of years, you know, with, with the, with the change in equipment rules, she's, she was playing with what, a 50 inch driver in the past. Yeah, the longest that was available, I think it was 40, it might have been 49 or 48, Was I think it was 49. She was, had the longest available and had to have that kind of taken away from her, yeah. Yeah, and so at the elite level, the longest you can play is 46 now. Yeah. And she, she's, she's had to change, I, I, I think she, originally she used to anchor the putter, she's had to change that. Uh, so, so, I mean, just, just equipment wise, which, you know, at that level is huge. She's, she's been able to overcome that. Yeah. And she's had some fat, you know, I think her grand, one of her grandparents passed away in the last year, year and a half that they're super tight and very supportive. And yeah, it's been, it's been difficult. It hasn't been a smooth ride for Brooke. And, you know, we have high expectations in Canada for Brooke Henderson and, and she's got the weight of the country on her shoulders. She handles it really, really well. Uh, you know, we don't have 20 LPJ tour players from Canada. We've got two, her yeah. and Motomi LeBlanc. And, and, you know, we also have a little bit, uh, uh, Elena Sharp is kind of uh, on a little bit as well. But, you know, it's been, it's been big for our country to have a superstar for young girls to look up to and young guys to look up to. And she's handled it really, really well. And it's great to see her having an unreal se- season again, a major, a win. And every time she plays, she's got a chance to win her a top 10, which is, again, for, for a, a country with not many people in it who love the game, uh, she is the, she's at the pinnacle in, in Canada. Uh, it's, it's so much fun to see. And I was thinking about you all weekend with, uh, with her playing so well. It's kind of a, 
you, you can't say it's a breakthrough win, but it, it really kind of a you know after the the struggles the last few years, yeah. kind of a breakthrough. Yeah, well, she hasn't won a major in, in five years or six years. And, you know, as you know, Chris, on the LPGA Tour, you got to get your work done early for the most part. And if you win, you know, at 18 and then don't win for two or three years, the clock starts ticking and people start saying, oh, she'll never win another winner. And, and she was having, she racked up the wins early and fast. So this has been a great bounce back year for, for Brooke. Why, why do you feel like in women's golf, the, the girls accelerate so much earlier than guys or boys you know we've done a lot of research on that in canada as well again we we're putting resources in areas where we think we can get edges and you know in the women's side they develop so much younger than guys uh both physically and and often uh emotionally as well but certainly physically and so they're often ready to compete in the lpga brooke was ready to play in the lpga tour at 15 or 16 and lydia ko i watched her play probably 50 rounds as a 15 and 16 year old and lydia ko was arguably the best player in the world that's 15 or 16, but wasn't on the LPGA tour. Right. So, uh, uh, you know, they have that rule. You have to be 18. Uh, so uh, it's just the nature of how, uh, you know, women tend to develop comparatively speaking to men, men just take a little longer to get their act together. And also, you know, as we've talked about, you know, off, off the line, Chris, you know, my son, who's a hockey player, he didn't go through puberty till 17. Yeah. And, no, that's in, in golf that, or in hockey that eliminates you almost in hockey and golf. It kind of does a little bit as well. So you know, the guys tend to be a little bit different than, than women. And, you know, the average age of a, a PGA to a rookie on the men's side is, you know, in the 24, 25, 26 range and the LPGA tour, it's 18 or 19. It's, it's a five or six year difference. You're listening to Chris's interview with Derek Ingram, the national coach of team Canada. We'll be back with more of that interview right after this on Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Colin McDonald with you, streaming at KLIZ.com. Also, find us wherever you uh, look for your podcast. Look under Lakes, Woods, and Irons. That in part, uh, thanks in part to our sponsors, Mills Automotive Group since 1922, celebrating 100 years, and Cragen's Legacy Courses, home to the 2022 CRMC Classic, which is part of the Canadian Tour, and uh, we're getting back to our interview now with the national team coach of Canada, Derek Ingram. Back to Chris's interview with Derek. You know, I, I want to talk about the, the book that you've published, um, Golf Psych, um, or Sports sports Psych for Winning Golf. Along, along that line, one, one of the things, Brooke seems like an incredibly slow player. And... Um, you know, I, I've always thought, you know, I, I, I get to go to some college tournaments and the college game is so incredibly slow and the, the coaches seem to have an over-involvement in the decision-making. And my thought, you know, if, if you read a book like Blink like by Malcolm Gladwell, he, he, he always says, you know, one, your instincts are all, are generally correct. And your first decision is usually the first one and it seems like so many players overthink the process and get bogged down and just the the pace that they do it at is is painful at times to watch what what's your what's your thought on that Derek? well you're gonna enjoy my book uh, a lot chris uh because 
as it talks about uh, being quicker and, and having both the pre-shot routine and what I call the ritual, the last five or six seconds before you hit a shot to be much quicker, you know, and, and trusting your instincts and your gut, you know, but the, the reality is you and I need to know a lot about the game. That's our role. We have to know so much of the game so we can distill that to one or two usable pieces of information to help people play their best golf. But you and I are in the, in the knowledge arms race to try and know as much as we can. But then, you know, it's not our role to shower all that on athletes right. because they'll never they'll never score any good. They'll play terrible yeah. and they'll be low. Uh, and so if you watch the players that I coach, if you watch Corey Connors or Taylor Pendrith. I mean, they, they're two of the quickest guys in the PGA Tour. They're both both world class players. And, um, you know, I, I like my guys to get in there and go. Uh, I, and if they, if they're not committed, they can step back, take a, a couple seconds to get committed, but get in there and go. And, you know, uh, when you overthink things, uh, when you overanalyze it's uh, the research from the, even that's Cyan Belix book on choke. When you overthink things, you tend to choke and perform worse. So we're trying to stay away from that with our athletes. That, that's a lot, a little bit of what my book talks about, uh, you know, playing, if you're going to air either way, I want you to be quicker, not slower, especially yeah. under under the gun and uh you know really having a nice quick uh pre-shot routine and a quick uh, i call the ritual the last four or five seconds get in there look and go uh, players are going to play better doing that and and the over involvement with college coaches i kind of get it you know they're trying to they're trying to justify their role in some right. case everyone wants to look important and, and uh and unfortunately maybe possibly the people in college golf who are making the decisions above coaches feel like oh that's important or there's a, a teeny bit of i'm not sure if i should be saying this but pretending going on but the reality is we, we're trying to coach athletes to be independent to trust themselves and, and we we don't want to overcoach. if anything you're gonna you're better to err by under coaching yeah you know, I, I haven't done a lot of caddying and I, I, I don't bill myself as a good caddy, but one of the things when I carry somebody's bag, I, I always have the feeling, you know, I'm going to give them the advice that they need, but I, I always want them to, I never want to create any doubt in their mind, any yeah. doubt or anxiety. And it, regardless if, if, if the decision may be not 100% correct. I want them to go into the shot with total commitment to it and never any, anything in their mind that they're, they're, you know, that's going to create a bad swing. Yeah. And I, and I coach our caddies that I, you know, like I spent a fair amount of time with the caddies, like uh, the players that I coach in the PGA tour and other levels, the caddies, because they ask me questions like that as well. And I'll, I'll say, Chris, like, listen, unless if they say, Hey, I like right edge in this putt, unless it's completely on the other side of the hole, all I want you to say is, yeah, love that. Because, you know, they're seeing something, they're feeling something and, and they're trusting their instincts or their, or their first impression. And even on the shot too, I've, you know, I'm going to aim it, you know, 15 feet right of the hole. You know, I, you know, once you have that discussion, I want the Catholics, the caddy to say, yeah, I love that. That's perfect bingo let's do it uh, as opposed to the only time i want them to step in is if they're absolutely so far wrong right. that a huge gigantic error and even sometimes i don't mind them making errors at a, at a lower level you know obviously at, at augusta when you're trying to you know win a, a green jacket we don't want too many errors there yeah. but at a Canada event or a college event or a junior event sometimes I don't mind athletes to make a little bit of an error and learn from it as opposed to you know trying to be perfect out there so yeah the, the you're right as a caddy I love that that's perfect yeah let's go you know and instead of stepping in there and and over things or making it cloudy 
Exactly. T tell us a little bit about, more about the book and what people can expect when they read it. Well, I think they can expect uh, to uh, learn about a pre-shot routine uh, and the importance of making it quick and committed. Uh, they're going to be able to learn about something I call a post-shot routine. You know, really after impact until the next shot is what I classify as that post-shot routine. Um, and I think it's uh, important that because there's a lot of time in golf to gain something from that to that time. And that includes, you know, quick assessment of the shot. Yeah, I love that smile. Give myself a fist pump. Uh, that was a great shot. Or, uh, hey, maybe another practice swing to feel what I wanted and then move on and then tune out in between shots because you're not going to focus for five hours and then start to tune in again for 20 or 30 seconds before your next shot. So uh, you're, you're learning about self-talk and how to be use, uh, effectively use self-talk and even uh, what I call, uh, you know, hotspot situations. I've got a wedge. I miss a green. I get super pissed off and I turn that into a, a double or a triple. Well, instead, you know, learning about... If then, if those then scenarios, uh, just having a game plan to deal with those. Hey, I got a chance to win here. I'm really nervous. Having a game plan in place to to make sure you're successful in those situations, and uh, you know, it's some of it's common sense the book, but uh, you'd be amazed at how many. Uh, and it was really cool for me. I was at the PGA Tour Canada event, like I said, I had a player I had no idea in the world who he was came up to me uh, yesterday and said, "Hey, I read your book. You're Derek Ingram. I love your book. Thanks for that." So good. And so that was really nice, uh, uh, you know, for me to, to have that. And I've had a lot of people say they really enjoy it. And it's helping them lower their scores, lower their scores. Oh, that's awesome. How, how so if for the average player, how do you develop a pre-shot routine that that's effective? What, what are the components of that? Well, starts wide and then we narrow it down Chris it's a little bit like the coaching process you know we know a lot so we can distill and give them one or two things and I think you know I, if I could simplify the pre-shot routine aside from this you know the basics of yardage the lie the wind and a, and, and a, a good course management decision in terms of going at the flag or what you're going to hit off the tee after that you're really trying to do I, I use these six words I'm trying to feel it I'm trying to see it and I'm trying to say it so those are six words. I uh, feel it, see it, say it. So that's really what the pre-shot routine is. I'm trying to, I'm trying to say the shot to myself. Oh, I want to hit this tee ball at that right edge, or sorry, that left edge of the bunker, and let the wind move it in. So I say it. I want to feel it. I'll just take a little practice swing to get a feel for what I want. It could be a small little waggle. Could be a full practice swing. And then I'm going to maybe either close my eyes or I'm going to try and see that shot. And as soon as I do that, I quickly get in there, one or two looks. And boom, the ball's in the air. So that's that's kind of how I like to coach the pre-shot routine. I use I steal a little bit from Pia Nelson and Lynn Marriott from the Vision 54 about the think box and the play box. Uh, and I'm sure they have stole a little bit from me over the years as well. So, <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite, that, that kind of, that's a good segue for my next question is I was going to ask you about expectation management. But one of the things that I love so much about, one of the things they talk about is great good or good enough yeah assessing your shot and uh I, I think you know especially in junior golf expectation management is so incredibly important because we all have these you know if, if we watch golf on tv you know it seems like every shot they're hitting to 10 feet and they're making yeah. every putt and they're so we have these unrealistic expectations of 
what our our one what our skill levels are, but really what reality is. And yeah, how do you, how do you set the tone for that and and you know deal with that with your players? I just think you know having a good enough relationship with them, Chris, where you can talk honestly with them. But you know, um, they they often you know we we only watch the PGA Tour on Saturday and Sunday when we see yeah. the best players having their top year uh, event of the year They're, it's they may only have a, a chance to win once a year and we're seeing it so they're playing unreal but the reality is uh I, I talk about being good enough like you said or you don't have to be perfect out there to play great golf and the worst thing as watching junior golf and i actually see it often in professional golf as well as big reactions to average shots get pissed off at an average shot yeah and, and then they start to snowball that negative energy. I, I talk about it in my book as well. They snowball that negative energy because they're, they hit a, you know, they hit a six iron to 30 feet, which is a PGA tour average shot on the ground and they're slamming their club or checking their position at the top of the swing. The reality is that's a great shot. We should probably be giving ourselves a small fist pump there or at least a smile and move on as opposed to, you know, to, you know, and, and there's golf, there's more pretending in golf than any other sport in the world. And uh, I think it's just, it's smart about being, re it's, it's important to be smart about being realistic uh, and it needs to be good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, and then again, uh, sharing stats is also a key way to do that as well, Chris. But so that's a big part of our job in coaching that. I mean, that's why I think as an elite level coach, like we are, you are, I know I've, I've got a long history of being a great coach and myself in our roles is we also have to coach mental skills along with physical skills. It's yep. impossible to do them in a vacuum separate. You, you can't just work on the golf swing. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're like this. They're yeah. really like they're all, they're all, they all work together. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, when, when people, when you get in that state where you're, you know, you're, you're expecting people, they, people get road rage yeah. on the golf course. And oh. how, how, you know, how well do you think when you're in road rage? So I, I think that's also one of the things I talk about in my book and not, not the pound of dead horses, a refocusing strategy having something written down that you practice a lot so you can refocus super quick. You, you're allowed, Tiger Woods would get pissed off for 10 or 15 seconds, yeah. but then boom, he would be so focused on the next shot and it would be gone, long gone. And so you, doesn't need, you don't need to get pissed off, but you do need to have a refocusing strategy that works for you. Yeah. Dr. Mo at Sea Island, who I think you know, yeah. one of the things that I love that he says, and he, my, my sons both have worked with him, and my, my oldest son used to get so upset on the golf course, and he said, that's fine, Chris. He said, don't get upset that he's upset. He just cares. And he said, he said what, what we need to do with Michael is it, he's got a short window to be upset. As soon as he puts his club back in the bag, that's over. The shot's over. We're moving on to the next shot. And uh, love it, uh, Doctor Mo. I uh, I actually met him a couple times this year. Really, really good. Really sharp. I always enjoy seeing your boys too over at Sea Island. But I've seen them everywhere now. They're they're kind of taking <laughs> taking over the golf world a bit, eh? No, they're they're doing great. I I always say I've, I've never lived vicariously through my kids until now. <laughs> <laughs> You used to be cool, uh, Chris. Now they're cool, right? Exactly. Way more cool than I am. No, way more people. So.
No, that's great. So, well, Derek, I, I we got to I got to be mindful of your time. I could talk to you for hours here, and it's such good stuff. And I, I'm so hopeful you can be here for the for the Canadian tour event, so we can uh, we can do some things here in Brainerd. Yeah, I'd love to be there. I know it's a hotbed of golf in North America. This tour is this event, the PJ Tour Canada event. There is going to be huge. I hope people come out and watch and support. They're going to have so much fun. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic we'll be able to spend some time together as well. Well, awesome. Well, great stuff, Derek. I, I hope to see you in a couple of weeks and uh, have a good weekend. You're a good man, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Eh? Good to Thanks see you. Thanks so Derek. Cheers. You're listening to Lakes, Woods & Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods & Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Also at uh, KLIZ.com. Find us there. And Podcast One or wherever you find your podcast, you can find Lakes, Woods, and Irons brought you in part by Whitefish Golf in Pequot Lakes, an experience that never disappoints, one of the area's premier 18-hole championship courses, and by Mills Automotive since 1922, celebrating 100 years of service in the uh, Lakes area. Chris Foley with me, uh, just kind of talking off mic, uh, Chris, about the uh, the process of uh, maybe changing a swing. You go to a pro, you're you're who I visit uh, when I either need a tweak or a full overhaul. <laughs> uh, probably a lot of people would say full overhaul, but the the uh, sometimes the smaller process really helps. And uh, you were saying, and I just a little background. I had uh, one of my best nines of uh, in a long time two weeks ago, and um, had uh, I think uh, four pars in a row and five pars in six holes and missed a missed a few uh, birdie putts so you have days like that and uh you're thinking yeah this uh, these new clubs and this takeaway that chris got me doing and uh really working and then uh you know the next week i i, I felt just as comfortable maybe more comfortable and the score uh went the other direction so sometimes that comfort level uh when you've got a new swing isn't exactly what you're looking for no i you know kind of along the lines that i said a great t- tweet today from Andrew Rice, who's been on the show, t- great teacher in South Carolina. And his tweet said, "If you if you shoot 65, would when you swing your swing, keep at it. If you shoot 118 when you swing your swing, it's time for a change." <laughs> <laughs> and it, it got me thinking. In you know our conversation, Mac, it, you know, rarely does it need to be a complete overhaul. Yeah. Uh, that that's you know unless you have never played before i would consider not playing ever you might need to overhaul things just because you've never done it but in most cases we just need to to refine what you have and make it more efficient uh one of the hardest things is you know if when somebody's trying to make it make a swing change is is they they tend to say oh it's just it doesn't feel natural Natural is doesn't mean it's correct. Natural only means it's what you're used to doing. And it feels natural because you've done it many times. And then the, the other side of it is if, if let's say for, for instance, a grip change, which we, we work on with you and you always tend to revert like everybody does. Yeah. You know, a grip, a grip change is very uncomfortable because we're, we're holding, you know, it's our only contact with the club. It has a huge influence on the rest of the swing, and it, it, and it has the biggest influence on the club face. So it's a change that we have to make frequently. And so many times, you know, it feels uncomfortable. And as it starts feeling comfortable, 
unless we've made a significant amount of swings. When it starts feeling comfortable, typically we've reverted. Ah, so it, it, it has to feel com- uncomfortable for many, many swings and probably quite a few days before you go, I got this. And, uh, you know, as soon as you feel like you got it, you better be careful because that's when you tend to, to go back to, you know, your, your, what you typically do. But, uh, you know, when, when you, when you make a change, uh, it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's not going to feel natural, but you just have to stick with it. And then the, the other side of the coin as well is you have to, if you have an awareness of what is creating your ball flight errors, whether it be the grip, whether it be something else in the setup or something in, in your, in your golf swing, know that that error generally will cause three to five misses. And if we have an understanding of what those misses are and what our deficiencies in our swing are, then if you, when you do hit a bad shot, you just go back to what those, what, what those tendencies were. And generally, it, it's not a bunch of things. It's only a couple things. So you just go back to that, and you're going to get yourself back on track. And the, the key to becoming a great ball striker is the knowledge of those tendencies, having an understanding of how to fix them, and not trying to correct every golf shot. Yeah. And it's such a, it's such a variety out there, Chris. Uh, I was going to ask you, we did a fitting last year, and uh, – um, the irons are just uh, so much a better fit for me. I can, I hit uh, more quality shots and uh, have more, um, more putts and regulation, that kind of thing. Simple stats, but uh, pretty important, <laughs> and pretty important to your overall mindset when you're playing golf. But right. uh, I noticed uh, this year now, uh, I feel like I've lost some distance off the tee, and it's it feels like it's in the swing somewhere. Is it? What's a typical, if there is a couple of typical things where you would lose distance off the tee, maybe in the swing somewhere? I, I haven't quite figured it out, obviously. Well, the, the two things that have the biggest influence on distance are centerness of contact, so hitting the golf ball in the center of the club face, and then club head speed. And, you know, as far as speed goes, you can't mistake uh, force for speed. And so many times, the harder we try to swing, uh, the slower we actually swing, and the, the harder it is to find the center of the club face. So you never want to sacrifice centerness of contact uh, in lieu of speed. The, they, they have to go hand in hand. But generally, if, if we've lost speed, there, I mean lost distance, there are a number of things that, that are happening. But the the biggest thing is generally we're just not, we're not making solid contact and we're swiping across the ball meaning the, the club face is open where our swing is is swinging to the left and we're you know we're just hitting the golf ball with a glancing blow and that's why it's so important to try to get yourself drawing the golf ball or hooking the golf ball because to hook the ball the the club face is, has to be closed in relationship to the target line and it has to be open in relationship to the path. So we're swinging more in to out with close club face. We're going to compress the golf ball more, and we're going to hit it further. So you, know, you, you have to try to make sure you're hitting in the center of the club face, have an understanding of why you're maybe not hitting the center of the club face, 
And then the other thing is that would cause us to lose speed, especially is is lack of balance and flexibility. And both of those things are, are trainable. And sometimes that balance is just, you know, a balance varies from day to day. Uh, but, you know, making sure you're in balance at address and trying to stay in balance throughout the golf swing. And then, you know, do whatever you can to maintain your flexibility. Uh, and both of those things are not only good for golf, but they're just good for life in general. Right, yeah. Swiping across the golf ball and balance. I, those both seem to ring in my ears right now, Chris. So I, <laughs> I think that's it. The, glance, the glancing blow is kind of what it feels like, actually. That was a good description. It's, yeah. Because you know what it's like uh, to hit it just right, and uh, even if it ends up kind of okay, you're kind of thinking, that, that wasn't it, though. <laughs> no, <laughs> That exactly. was a glancing blow. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Mac. It's Chris Foley. I'm Colin McDonald. You've been listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ.